Hey, everybody, it's me, John, thanking you once again for listening to Saul Searching here on the FYIZ podcast feed. Also, thanking you for your patience in waiting for this episode, which is a bit late. But luckily, we have a couple of ringers. My friends Becca Eaton and Jonathan Eaton are back to discuss the series finale of Better Call Saul, which is entitled Saul Gone, and which was written by series co-creator and Saul Goodman co-creator Peter Gould. Um, I don't think I need to say much more to get you hyped for this one, so let's do it. Here is Saul Searching. Well, hello, Becca. Hello. Hello, Jonathan. Hi. And thank you for joining me for this final episode of, well, this is maybe the, there's maybe one more episode of the Saul Searching podcast coming, but this is the final episode of Saul Searching that's like finishing the mandate of the show, which was to track mm. the show, Better Call Saul. Um, and uh, and yes, here we are at the end of it. So I'm, I'm glad to have two trusted uh, compatriots uh, to, to help sort through the, the rubble uh, of, of Better Call Saul. <laughs> <laughs> Honored to be here. Yeah. So without getting into any specifics yet, I just want to talk about like gut reactions, feelings. How are you feeling about the the way they wrapped up this show? Both both the overarching wrap up, but also this particular episode uh, of television that we just got. I felt very satisfied by it. I didn't know where it was going for a while. And then it felt like there wouldn't be enough time to deal with what they were starting. And then it felt like it ended exactly perfectly and wrapped that stuff up and... Um, there was, yeah, it, it still felt like there was new stuff coming in and new emotions coming in that I was like, how is there only an hour and a half of this left to deal with it? <laughs> but I felt like they did amazing. I'm, I'm very, very happy with the ending. I, uh, the first thing I wanted to say in this episode was that I was right. Uh, almost a hundred percent from, I think the last time we talked of, uh, when we were talking about predictions, of what we thought was going to happen. When it ended, I was like, holy shit. Not like I was planning on being like, ah, I nailed it. But I got a lot of stuff right yeah. with what ended up happening in this episode. I was kind of shocked at how much <laughs> happened that I was like, holy fuck. That's a very satisfying feeling that you're talking about. <laughs> and it always puts me in mind of how this show can almost seem more unpredictable than it is. Yeah. Like, it seems like a show where anything can happen. And it, and it sort of is that, but it also is a show that follows its own internal storytelling logic. Yeah. And it almost is like a point of this, you know, Breaking Bad and this show to remind you that where a character ends up plot-wise is not what hooks you in as much as where they end up philosophically. So uh, for Jimmy, the main thing was that he had this moment of self-awareness um, and he kind of pulled off one last trick on everybody and he also did it for the right reasons and like uh i think that's that's what those of us who have always been rooting for sort of the character of jimmy mcgill were sort of hoping for was that this episode would would not just show the the need to take responsibility but it would also show the fact that he had a you know a couple of little moves left that he used well i'm glad they did a, a redemptive you know arc for him i'm glad it ended on a, a redemptive note um, and I was saying last night, like after the episode, we watched it, that I it would have been it would have been a, a a cathartic thing to happen, no matter what, for him to have 
redeemed himself and admitted to everything and like not only admitted to everything with Walter White but then also admit to all the shit with Howard and then also admit to all the shit with Chuck which like obviously weighed on him like whether or not he admitted it like how could that not even if you hate your brother the fact that your brother kills himself because of things you did it's not gonna you're not gonna be cool with that (laughs) so like all that happening was cathartic and good, but it, I was just thinking like, uh, you know, up until a certain point, we, we kept thinking like, is he just going to be a dick forever? Like, is he just not gonna, is he going to really be this shallow and awful forever? And they really amped up the catharsis of it happening by basically like leading you so far down like the Saul rabbit hole of him being Saul and like being the worst kind of Saul for so long. And even with Gene and like tapping back into like his worst, worst tendencies. Um, and that's what I like about like, if you're, if you're like holding this up against breaking bad, like Walter White, like is presented, you know, uh, a line to cross and crosses it constantly and just like keeps going past the line and becomes an absolute fucking monster. Whereas Jimmy goes right up to the line and then decides to turn around, which is like, it it feels true to his character after watching it for six seasons. I even think he goes up to the line and crosses it in his own way several times. Like, we've been rewatching mm-hmm. the show, and there's so many moments where he does cross the line and makes you go, oh, Jimmy, like you're watching the show. And what they always do is pull you back in. And they did that so well that even rewatching the show, getting up to these last episodes, it's like they really created a question in my mind as to whether they were going to come down on the side of Jimmy McGill's a piece of shit, and you should never have liked him. Or if they were mm-hmm. going to come down on the side of us, like, no, we love, there's still something, there's there's still something that we love about Jimmy, and that's what comes out. You know what I mean? In this final episode, um, and the yeah. fact that he's, yes, playing the Saul, the sleaze factor of Saul, like, it's, it's, a, it's a weapon, and it's a way that he does business, and it's a way that he gets deals done, and it's kind of a Jimmy move to like work out the best possible deal for yourself and then say, you know what? Fuck you. I don't want that deal. Uh, here's what I really did. Like, it's like, even though he didn't plot it out, like as some master plan, you can see the wheels turning and he knows very well what he's doing. He knows that by like breaking his deal open, he's sort of becoming a sponge for whatever they want to pin on him. And that is his way of, you know, obviously we know why he's doing it. He's doing it to help Kim, but like, he he goes from seven years to just whatever they can pin on him, you know. So that so that eighty six years that they say at the end, that's just a number that's m- meant to make you think. Well, that's you'll never live that long, you know. That's just one of those numbers that's unthinkable. Yeah. But the idea that seven years feels light, even those of us who love him heard that number and were like, "Wow, that's kind of light for everything they have on him." I don't know, Becca. How did you feel about that like tug of war? I know that you were like me. You were kind of squeamish about how much you still. We're rooting for Jimmy uh, as we go into this final stretch where it seemed like he was just going to keep disappointing us. Well, yeah, he felt just gross for so long. Or once we see Kim leave his life, we don't see anything redemptive in Mm -hmm. him. You know, even even in Gene, we kind of get a little bit of neutralness and then some glimpses into he wants to be slipping Jimmy or Saul again. 
we don't get a lot of neutral territory for him or being a good person territory for him. So it feels like a lot of the main plot points for him have been just regressing so hard into being the shitty person. All the stuff with, um, I already forgot his name, even though you just said it. The guy, Carol Burnett's son. Jeffy. Oh, f- Jeffy. Jeffy. Like, all the stuff with Jeffy, it feels like a regression. Mm-hmm. And then when, oh my god, just everything in this episode, when he's he's being Saul for his own self, which was very interesting to see. And, um, sorry, I've got a bad brain this week. Talking <laughs> to Hank's wife. Oh, Marie. Marie. All this stuff talking Which that to Marie. Was a shocking cameo. I just felt so disgusted by him at at several points in this episode that I was like, I don't understand <laughs> what is happening. It felt like the lowest I've ever seen him. Like, and to see him like that in the final episode was so crazy because it's so late to turn it around. But they still do, obviously, because we're so invested. It's not going to take much to get back out of there. But the the low point of seeing the way he was telling his sob story to Marie's face and then just saying, well, it only takes one juror to believe me. Just admitting in front of her, like, that didn't matter. It, yeah. it didn't matter if that was true. <laughs> it actually does a brilliant job of Saul Goodmaning that situation. Yeah. If he was the one sitting there in Oakley's seat, he would be doing a great job for his client, you know? And yeah. um, and I think we'll come to this in a minute. I do want to talk about the way this show... One of the things this episode pays off that I've been talking about is the fact that he has been helping people. That, like, whether we like the people he's been helping or not, Saul hasn't been just existing in a vacuum. You know, there are people who thank him for for being Saul Goodman. <laughs> and that kind of pays yeah. off later in the story. But this idea of seeing him like we seeing him use his superpowers in a way that we're going like, oh no, why are you doing this right now? Because there's even a part of that scene, and it still plays even, there's even a part of that scene where we f- we can find it tragic that Marie could never see Jimmy McGill's humanity. Like we're sitting there before he starts to do that sob story and that gross monologue, you know? It's like, we see that she would never, ever, ever believe that there's a redemptive aspect to this human. And we can feel her rightful anger, but also know that she doesn't really know the whole story. And, you know, frankly, she might be lionizing Hank a little bit. Like, I think that's all normal. That's all natural. Oh, it's sweet. I, yeah. I don't, I'm not putting anything on her. I'm just saying that there's a weird kind of sanctimoniousness that she has that would blind her to anything Jimmy could tell. Like, everything he said about Hank, I think it's his true feeling. I think that's, that's that thing of Jimmy mixing the truth in with his bullshit, where he's telling her, I've met him a few times and he was good at his job. It's almost like he was a worthy adversary for me doing my crappy job, you know? Well, yeah. But like, I think that scene, the tension of like, of, of is he going to think he's working the room when everyone is like turning, even his attorney or counsel, Oakley is sitting there and you can see his face going like, <laughs> God, Jimmy, let it go. Like, don't do this. Don't, don't like, like you said, don't throw it in, in the face of a widow that you, that you're calling yourself a victim. That guy did an amazing job. I do have a question why did he bring oakley in at all was it just to be like fuck you oakley i'm gonna bring you in and tank this case because he didn't actually need help i don't think he was intending to tank the case but he could have represented himself he didn't need outside counsel why did he get that at all like oakley didn't help him did he maybe it makes him seem more credible to actually have someone there as like an advisor 
but to tell him to shut up constantly and talk anyway. It's almost like this is one of those ways they use all the stuff they have in the in the fridge to make this final dish, you know, and they say like, well, who, he's going to have some kind of lawyer. He's going to call somebody. It's going to be someone appointed to him. Can we do this? I just think once they thought, oh, what if we, do, what if we use Oakley? It's just like, oh, that's so good because it's not Kim. It's not the... It's not the corny idea that Kim's back in the law and that she like it, but it's right. as close as you can get in a way by saying, "Here's a character we know that it means something." When he says, "I need another phone call," and then it cuts to Oakley, you're just like, "Oh my God, this is brilliant!" If he's going to bring in Oakley, because it's like Oakley's stepping up; he's the new Saul of Albuquerque, so it's just mm-hmm. it fits. But as far as like what his purpose is, I almost think it's just like a comedic foil for what Saul is doing in those moments. It's like, it it could be almost any character, but it's great that it's a character we know who's the one going, your honor, can I withdraw from this case, please? It's like, no, you're stuck with this. But I think that he can dine on that story for for the rest of his career. He can say, I got him down to seven years and and fucking Saul Goodman opens his mouth and goes away for 86, you know, I don't know. I feel like... I feel like it doesn't ruin Oakley as much as it might seem, but it does seem like he basically just got used as sort of a a part of like something in in Saul's mind was like was setting this idea up of I need somebody who's going to legitimize me going into this, but then who I can completely push around, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Let's back up a little bit and just talk about how this episode starts. Um it starts with this flashback. We don't really know what we're looking at. We could just be looking at Jimmy's car on the side of the road as it is today. Um, and then they show us like a space blanket on a, on a bush, which must have been something that blew out of his car. That's a callback to Chuck. And so there's all these little things you're feeling that last episode feeling. And then we realize we're actually going to get a scene set in this moment of, you know, Jimmy and Mike crossing the desert uh, and Jimmy drinking piss. And like, there's this just great moment of just bullshit banter between them. And and Jimmy kind of pulls out sort of a bar conversation question. First thing we do, take six million bucks and build a time machine. You you look like a history buff, right? What, would you go to Civil War times or uh, ancient Rome? Oh, Christ. <laughs> December 8, 2001. No. March 17th, 1984. Day I took my first bribe. And then I go forward. There's some people I'd like to check on in five or ten years. Make sure they're doing okay. You. It's easy. May 10, 1965. That's the day Warren Buffett took over at Berkshire Hathaway. I figure, got a million left from building the time machine, so I take my half and just stick it into Berkshire. Then I come back here and I'm a billionaire. That's it, honey. What else? Nothing you change. And Mike's answer is really poignant. You can see that his first thought is to say that he would go back to prevent his son's murder and then he 
thinks that through and actually goes back further to before he became the corrupt cop that set his son on the path later to being murdered. You know, so it's like Mike wants to fix mm-hmm. his life. Mike regrets not fixing his life. And go into the future and check on people. Yeah. Right. Check on his granddaughter, I'm assuming. Yeah. But it's also the show almost like hinting, yeah, maybe in five or ten years we'll come back. <laughs> we'll do more with this stuff. <laughs> yeah. But then Jimmy's answer almost could surprise you with how shallow it is. Like, he's asking this question after this, like, experience they've had. And his he his answer, you know, normally you ask a question like that prepared to give your side of it. And that what Jimmy's prepared to talk about is this thing that he thinks sounds really clever, but actually sounds really shallow, which is that he would go back to invest in Warren Buffett's uh, company. And then he would be rich. And Mike's kind of shocked that that's... In, in Mike's very laconic way, he's surprised. <laughs> um, I mean, I, w- that was, to your point, Becca, right from the start, you're feeling kind of let down by Jimmy. You're like, is this who he really is? This just, is that really it? Well, and in retrospect, I I do think it's performative. I, I think he's being, um, you know, I, I don't think he's being truthful. He is just being... Saul. But even still, you know, who but, did he open up to in his entire life? Only uh, ever Kim, Kim, you know, exactly. Like, yeah. like the realest version of himself. Yeah, he didn't show that to anyone. Regardless, I there s- were so many times with Chuck where he could have been more honest about his emotions, and obviously, so many times Chuck could have been more honest with his emotions. Yeah, but it's just not a thing Jimmy ever did until then, anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so to just kind of. You know, Mike was being a lot more vulnerable in that scene yeah. than Jimmy was, or or Saul ever could be. You're right. He, Jimmy doesn't really know how to t- just have a conversation with somebody. So he does go to this sort of, this sort of again, a question you could ask anybody as like a, an icebreaker type question. Um, but I like that Mike at least sincerely answers the question. Yeah. <clears throat> and I also liked how that opening scene sort of opened the door to, oh, yeah, we might see some of our other friends in 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 one more moment. You know, I, I, I'd kind of spent all season thinking we might get a Chuck scene. I didn't think that until it happened. Same. I just thought with all their ability to jump around in the timeline, it was like, I don't see why they wouldn't find a way. Just, just because, like, bringing Oakley in to be his counsel, it's like, it's a way of tying the show together. They're brilliant at the, not having a plan, but the going back and grabbing this and grabbing that to make it seem like it was all planned. Um, but then they jump from that into the immediate aftermath of what happened last week. Um, and I just really, I, what I wrote down is, uh, I, I thought, just love the way Carol Burnett delivered, please get him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she's great. Because right then she's kind of like us. I mean, we're, we're looking at Jimmy thinking, uh, if someone doesn't stop him, and save him from himself, he, it's just going to get worse. He's headed south towards Curtis. Oh, please get him. Um, and then he jumps in a dumpster, which again is a callback to a previous uh, Saul storyline where he was, you know, the sandpiper shit, where he was in the dumpster with all the, all the, all the assisted living you know, trash before he realized he could have just looked in the recycling, which was like right next to the dumpster, but he's having like liquid <laughs> stuff and you can see like diapers and stuff, you know, so th- I forgot about that. Me too. Well, this was, a, this was to me a clear reference to that because he instantly had juice dripping on him. But then there was that awful moment where he, where he knocks the diamonds down into the, oh my God. I mean, I don't know. Did oh you, I, we all saw that coming, I'm sure, but it, th- there's no more pathetic moment yeah. than like being the guy who thought you were going to leave town with diamonds. And now you're s- scrambling <laughs> through the trash. Uh, that just gutted me. 
that that was amazing yeah. and then yeah him getting captured that soon into the episode uh was nuts because yeah at that point you're just like where does it go like where does it go from here yeah and and he uses his phone call uh to call cinnabon cinnabon i love that was amazing i loved that that was very thoughtful of yeah him. and kind of a brutal commentary on his life what we were just saying he doesn't really have anybody in his life so like his first phone yeah. call is going to be to make sure they cover the cinnabon shift you know <laughs> and you're going to need a new manager. You know, that was kind of a fun little tag. Um, yeah, so yeah. then he has that kind of, uh, I don't know, that was a pretty disturbing scene with him pacing around saying, like, this is how they get you. Was that a callback to something? It felt like it could be a callback, or I was thinking, like, maybe it's just him losing his, like, marbles. You know, what I think of when I think of that scene is him laughing and crying kind of in that same way that, like, I, you know, that's that's a thing you see in a few movies where you go, oh, that's a moment. If you, it's, it's a bold choice to say you're going to have your character kind of going mad, and they're sort of laughing yeah. and they're sort of crying. But I, I totally bought it that at this moment he would feel so... He would be laughing at the cosmic joke of what has happened to him. Mm -hmm. Like that he did it to himself, I think, is the main thing that, that he's realizing at that moment. The way I was thinking, because he kept saying, like, this is how they get you, I was, it felt like he was chastising himself. Yeah. Like, well, it, like it, it's the thing he It felt says more like a people. statement. Yeah. It felt more like a statement than a question. So yeah. I thought the same thing. Like, did he tell someone else, yeah. don't fuck with old ladies that have life alert? Yeah. Well, because even, this is how they get you. Well, even when, like, his kind of threats to Jeffy and his friend, it's just the same thing of just, like, you know, don't, don't buy any crazy things like yeah don't call attention to yourself that's how they get you like be cool about it and he mm. was so uncool so hard yeah in these last couple of episodes that he's just like repeating this mantra of like this is how they get you like you stupid piece of shit of course yeah. like of course they caught you that's how they get you. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I mean, like, it's it's him realizing what we've been seeing, yeah. which is that he's been asking yeah. for the, like, there's been no way this wasn't going to happen. The way the way that he was being so reckless in in the last couple yeah. episodes, and that like since we talked, he we were worried about what he would do. Oh, what's he going to do when he breaks into the guy's house? And then he, you know, the episode we didn't talk about, he 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 advances on uh, Carol Burnett with. A, a very strangly-looking phone cord between his hands, you know? Yeah. Oh, God, that was so upsetting. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad they pulled him back from that moment, and I'm so glad that that moment was the bottom. I was, like, saying, I hope it's the bottom and not the foreshadowing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Real quick, I loved his... Um... I loved his kitchen cabinet full of burner phones, like <laughs> literally full of burner like, phones. Like, how can there be, th like a, be that much juice left in the battery of any of those like a phones? Dozen fucking phones that cracked me up. Yeah, it's a callback uh, to his cell phone salesman scheme uh, in season five, but also yeah. kind of a yeah. sign that he he he's never stopped thinking about escape. It's just it goes to show again what we have said before, which was it, he was never invested in his life as Gene. He was oh, never yeah. invested he was biding in his time. turning it around and yeah. no, he was, he was simmering into being this new person that works at a Cinnabon. He's just biding time mm -hmm. until he can be himself again. Yeah. We've been talking about it. It hasn't been that long. Like it he he really has only been he, he's been six months it's been about six to eight months at the yeah. time that we're seeing this like eight months i think yeah. would have been when he would have called francesca and we're probably within a you know it's like we're within i don't know how, a couple of weeks after that we're still probably like december or something of the same year that walter white died like he walter white died a few months ago you know what i mean from from this stuff yeah. so it's still very fresh if anybody's hearing the story on the news or anything it's still very fresh <laughs> the the 
DEA and the FBI would still be basically in a manhunt. Yeah. Like an active manhunt. And speaking of Walter White, uh, that brings us to our second flashback, um, where Jimmy asks someone the <clears throat> the time travel question. And, uh, you know, Walt being Walt, he answers, but uh, he also has to say things that are hurtful and, and shit all over the, the logic of the question itself. <laughs> <laughs> A time machine? Yeah. Um, from a scientist's point of view, I mean, you can go backwards, forwards, uh, where would you go? Meaningless question. <laughs> time machine. Look, time travel. The kind of time travel that you're thinking of is a scientific impossibility. It would violate the second law of thermodynamics. Uh, but what about a wormhole? Oh! Well, I was watching Nova and Alan Alda seemed to think... Oh, well then, Alan Alda, he's the expert. Oh, Christ, are you kidding me? Quantum mechanics? We're discussing that now? Stay in your lane. <coughs> It's just a thought experiment. There's got to be something you'd go back and change if you could. <clears throat> you are not talking about a time machine, which is both a real and theoretical impossibility. You are talking about regrets, so if you want to ask about regrets, just Ask about regrets and leave all this time-traveling nonsense out of it. Okay, regrets. I'm so glad that he got to be Walt in that way, in that scene. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about that scene. I mean, to me, this scene was really rich. Like, it was a great, it was very much like the Jesse scene last week, where it's like, this is a really great integration of a, of a character cameo that feels like a scene that you kind of wanted to see. Like, there's a, there's some there's something about it that that feels essential. And I think that, like... Walt observing, oh, you've always been this way, to Jimmy. It feels like that's summing up a feeling we've had watching this show that, like, Jimmy can't get away from himself, ever. And a feeling that I have about Walt. Yes. Because we had ju we have just started rewatching Breaking Bad relatively recently. Mm -hmm. And I've only ever seen it once, so this is my only second time watching it. And my impression after the first time just general impression was like guy that's a good guy high school teacher family man becomes bad guy and then rewatching it again i was like oh my god he's an asshole immediately. yeah he was never a good guy <laughs> Im immediately yeah. and constantly yeah it's like jack torrance in the shining you know it's like oh wait oh my god he seems like he's ready to kill his family from the beginning of this movie yeah he <laughs> yeah. feels more like himself when he is being heisenberg yeah. than when he is performing for sure walter white family man yeah walt truly enjoyed it and like that's the thing that he says to skylar at the very very end of breaking bad when she's like why did you do it and he's just like i liked it i liked it a lot like i didn't want to stop doing it and that's like a that's the truest i think thing about his character is yeah him having that epiphany is almost the climax of the show yeah he is not a good person he liked being he liked having power he liked killing people <laughs> Like, he liked doing all of this shit and getting the upper hand no matter what. You know what that reminds me of in uh, a less poisoning a child kind of way? Uh-huh. Kim. Yeah. I mean, there's a touch of all of this and all of the characters. Yeah, for sure. I think it's the point of these shows. Yeah. 
But that felt very much like him saying, I didn't want to tell you Lala was alive because then you would want to stop this plan. And I didn't want to stop this plan. Yeah. It's also in a different way uh, what Jimmy does in the courtroom at the end when he says, and I was afraid of, you know, when they took me out in the desert and put a gun in my head and I was afraid. And then he says, but not for long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you can tell he's dropped the bullshit. He's not trying to sob story that's making you cringe. That was an amazing moment. That was my introduction to Walter White. I was terrified. But not for long. That night I saw opportunity. I shot it big money. And I grabbed it and I held it tight. And for the next 16 months, My every waking moment was spent building Walter White's drug empire. Hold on. Mr. Goodman, stop right there. Consult Mr. Oakley before you say another word. Your Honor, I believe the court deserves the whole truth. I wasn't there when the meth was cooked. I wasn't there when it was sold. I didn't witness any of the murders, but I damn well knew it was happening. I was more than a willing participant. I was indispensable. I kept Walter White out of jail. I laundered his money, I lied for him, I conspired with him, and I made millions. If he hadn't walked into my office that day, Walter White would have been dead or behind bars within a month. And Agent Schrader and Agent Gomez and a whole lot of other people would still be alive. Fact is, Walter White couldn't have done it without me. You got that? He's both like taking responsibility and and taking credit. Like he's sort of saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. it was me in a lot of ways." There is a there is a lot in that courtroom. There is a lot of really specific shots, like just cutting to things that were so specific. Uh, him when he starts talking about Chuck, and it cut to the exit sign with the buzzing. Both of us, like, caught our breath (laughs) while we were watching that. Oh, I started fully sobbing. Which is another callback, you know, because in the episode called Chicanery, where Chuck is humiliated on the stand and they prove that his disability is more mental than it is physical, um, there's a shot uh, of Chuck that's framed much the same way with an exit sign uh, in the foreground. Um, Uh, I don't remember that. And as a parallel, uh, you know, Kim represents Jimmy in that hearing, but in this final courtroom scene, uh, the fact that she's in the back row and we can see her reactions, um, you know, I I found it kind of touching how important it was to Jimmy that Kim see him kind of confess and own up to the fact that what he did to Chuck was was unfair. I don't even think, like, I was reading some stuff online there and talking about, like, him trying to win her back. I don't think he's trying to win her back at all. That's so far past. I think he's just trying to do... I think he's finally trying to do right. Was the point. Mm-hmm. I think he wants her respect, you know? And, and I think that he knows that he couldn't yeah. get her respect being the guy who just got seven years for all that stuff. But I don't think that would be enough to make him fall on the sword that he does if he didn't think she was in in peril, you know? Um, and also, like, we still don't know what's up with the... Um, the civil suit that's brought against her. There's no reason to think that that would necessarily go away. And also that's, all, uh, you know, Jimmy McGill saying, uh, uh, no, she had nothing to do with it. That goes a long way 
that's still far from like wiping her affidavit off the record. So it's like there's yeah. a lot of shenanigans that have to get pulled. But I always assumed that like the part we didn't see, the legal wrangling that took him from seven years to 86, somewhere in there is where Kim's name got cleared or the deal got made that they're not going to pursue that because they now have him as a witness to, you know, whatever they need. Mm-hmm. But I mean, even if that case isn't addressed, just the idea that um, we understand that Kim is now like she's got a little bit of her mojo back at the end of the episode. She seems a little bit more like herself. Um, you know, again, it's it, it it's like mission accomplished. If what he was hoping to do was to was to give her some 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 modicum of like freedom back, but everything else of that is coming purely from Kim's decision, probably just to you know we see her going into the legal mm. center. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, but it is nice to see that her wardrobe has rebounded a little bit. I I love seeing the briefcase on the table when she visits him in jail because like I it's just I feel like I've seen her just have that the whole time like as a you know her accessory to as being a lawyer. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, like. It's like she brought it out, like she never got rid of it. She's had it. She just brought it back out. She wouldn't be using it at Palm Spring uh, sprinklers or whatever. Well, yeah. And just to see her walk in and immediately start doing some pro bono work, which (laughs) was the thing that gave her the most joy in her career Mm -hmm. the whole time was amazing. Yeah. And that that was the decision she made prior to Jimmy's you know, yeah. last minutes of the show, that was... Well, she didn't well, even know and, about and, him. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And she had gone to talk to Howard's um, widow yeah. herself and made those decisions for herself. And seeing her go back into legal work, not even in a way where she's going to be like some top flashy lawyer, but just Not even as a lawyer, just her. as a legal advice person. Because as far as we know, she's still not practicing law yeah well, she's she would have filing to, yeah. well yeah she got herself disbarred or whatever she'd have yeah, to she, go she revoked you her know, license or something yeah she'd have to apply for a new license in a new state anyway yeah. but she's just there filing paperwork for free to help people which is what brought her joy and fulfillment in the first place is the last thing she was doing before she stopped yeah and even jimmy knows that although he can't really know what she's been up to he, he does intuit that she's been doing things the right way as compared to his behavior after their breakup um which is such a gratifying thing to hear him say after the little tension they create uh, around is jimmy trying to incriminate kim is that why he's brought her name up um, though I will say that when he's talking about her in front of the federal marshal on the plane, I was I was already pretty sure, okay, he's not trying to destroy her. There's something else going on. It, yeah, I was thinking, like, what is he up to? Like, it can't, it literally, it can't be what it is on the surface. Well, because here's the thing, like, another callback on the show is uh, him looking like the bad guy on purpose. Um uh, is like you know he's done that before, and uh, particularly when he when he uh, isolated poor Irene from her friends, and then like he had to go back in and seem like he was the bad guy in order to, to repair the friendship, mm-hmm. and it was like that's the same kind of thing that he did here, which is like he I mean it, it, granted he's taking responsibility for something he did, but he's also willing to lie and say that Kim wasn't involved at all in all that, and I think that like that's. That's a character trait that we've seen before, is that there's a, you know, in a way, almost to a fault sometimes, that Jimmy's not afraid to seem like the asshole if it's, Mm -hmm. if that's how he gets something done. So once he realized that that's what he had to do, he shows up in a shark skin suit. I mean, it's like everything (laughs) about that suit. He's acting all smug and everything, really until the moment where he, where he becomes more real. He's playing the part of the, 
you know, exactly who Marie Schrader thinks he is, exactly who Kim now fears that he is. Yeah. Um, so I thought that stuff was really, I mean, it was very satisfying because that's when I started thinking, okay, he, there's no way he's doing all this without there being a point or a hook or something to this. We're, we're beyond the point where I think he's just going to be a weasel. I now realize he's, you know, he's putting on the suit very deliberately. The two things that the suit that he was wearing was incredible because everything was in black and white. And so, like, for them to have whatever suit they had him in so specifically that, like, even in black and white, you're like, fuck, that's it garish. It's so shiny. Yeah. It's so shiny and reflective with, with, like, a ribbon and the and the tie. Like, everything about that suit, uh, fucking props to the wardrobe people for dressing him in a way that even in black and white, he still looks like a gaudy tacky Saul Goodman. That was amazing. And then the other thing I was thinking of, and I, I keep thinking of it, you said something earlier and it kept making me think of it, but just Jim, as uh, about Jimmy as like a person, as a whole, like the thing that he does, and he does it, I think in this episode, he's done it this whole entire time. It, he, it's like he has a compulsion to uh, not win, just prove that he can win. Yeah. He does it's like it's not even that he cares about winning cuz he doesn't. There's so many times where he doesn't win, he gets his ass handed to him. But it's just that he wants to be able to say I'm the best lawyer in the room. I'm the smartest person here. I can outwit everybody, you know, uh with my street smarts also. But he does that with the whole like getting it down to 7 years and then being like, "All right. I did it cuz I wanted to." And now I'm satisfied that I could do it. So I'll take the 86 years or whatever. Same, well, I thought the same thing because it was just like any amount of prison time is a loss for him. Yeah. But if he gets it down as much as possible and then throws some fucking ice cream on top, then he can still feel like, yeah, the best lawyer in the room. He can write out the rest of his life in prison being like, I had it down to seven years. Yeah. That's how fucking good I am. Yeah. And like he'll be a legend. It even reminds me of in uh, season four. Remember when he the the copier company where he gets a job. He goes in and he really wows them with all his knowledge of the copiers. And then they're like they really like him. And mm. he walks out after a pretty decent interview. And they said, we'll let you know something. He walks back in and gives him the most passionate pitch of all time, saying, I worked in a mailroom. I know these copies. Yes. They give it to him on the spot. Like, this guy's passionate. We were going to maybe offer it to you anyway, but this is definite now. And then he, like, is smiling, and he looks around, and then he kind of gets this grimace, and he turns back around, and he's like, you guys aren't going to, like, do a background check or look at my references or anything? And they're like, no, we just, we really believe in you. Should we? And he's like, you, you suckers. Yeah. Like, anybody yeah. could just walk in here and take it. I don't want this fucking job. You know, it storms out. Yeah. Oh, my God. He I just wants a worthy that. adversary. Yeah. It's, right. But it's like, it, somehow his mind, and I was watching it, and, my, you know, and Nikki was saying, why did he do that? You know, because she's thinking, they seem nice. Doesn't he want to work there? <laughs> and I'm thinking, like, yes, he does in a way, but he also doesn't want to work for anybody that would... It's like the Groucho Marx line, I wouldn't want to be a part of any club that would have me as a member. Holy shit, that's so true. <laughs> Mixed with the, the I wanted... All I need to know is that I could... Is that I could fool this person. Yeah, all I need to know is that I could. And the second that you show me that I can, that's what I'm like, all right, fuck you, and I yeah. leave. Having it is not as important as knowing you could do it. And of course, we have to realize, though, that it's the Kim of it all that's the real... 
That's the real push. You know what I mean? Like whatever it is that he's willing to do to direct that deal, it's got everything to do with having her respect and just knowing that she thinks so little of him. Like that phone call did not go the way he wanted it to. Well, because Kim um, was the only time he ever actually was content. Right. Everything or at least else that, like, he was... like Becca said, that he could be himself. Yeah. He could be himself. He was content. He didn't need to prove to her and then leave. He was just actually happy. Yeah. And that's the whole and, uh, crux and of the, the show. honest version of himself. Yeah. Yeah, the only other person whose opinion seems to matter that much to Jimmy uh, is Chuck's. And uh, their relationship is, of course, different from his relationship with Kim. Um, I guess now is as good as time as any to talk about that that little flashback with Chuck, which was, you know, kind of a quiet scene, but uh, I think it was really revealing in its own in its own way. They had those apples that you like. I got you half a dozen. Fuji. Um... And the new stand on Central said they might start carrying the Financial Times. So that's good, right? You know I could hire someone to do this. I could get someone from the office. I'm doing it. Yeah, every day? While you're trying to start a practice? Why? Why? Because you're my brother. Duh. You do the same for me. Well, you could stay for a while. We could talk. Talk? What about? Well, your cases? Your clients? You want to talk about my clients? <laughs> Seriously, you want to talk about uh, the granny who got picked up for soliciting inside a Christian science reading room? What, uh, what about the kid who broke into a liquor store and drank five bottles of cream de menthe and then passed out behind the counter? They deserve a vigorous defense like any other client. Or maybe you just want to tell me what I'm doing wrong. That's not what I had in mind. I'm going to take a pass on the heart-to-heart, Chuck. One of my deserving clients, he got caught waving the weenie outside of Hobby Lobby. Well, hold on. You got to reimburse yourself. Hmm. This one's on me. Jimmy. If you don't like where you're heading, there's no shame in going back and changing your path. Oh, when have you ever changed your path? <laughs> hey, think on it. We always end up having the same conversation, don't we? Chuck is reading uh, The Time Machine, the, the novel, and clearly thinking about regrets and clearly thinking about like his history with Jimmy and trying to... It's the rare occasion where Chuck is trying to have a conversation and Jimmy's just... It's just bouncing off Jimmy because Jimmy's doing the thing that Jimmy always does. I got this to do. I'm over here. I'm putting ice in your thing. And we're having our little quick interaction. And hey, man, it's, you know, whatever. You can see it's it's just a rare occasion. I can't, I can't, I don't even think it happened at any other point on the show where Chuck seemed like he was trying to have a conversation with Jimmy mm-hmm. that seems like a conversation and yeah. not like not being as judgy. But what what I took from that was that if Chuck could go back in time, he probably would address his relationship with Jimmy in some way. Um, but also that Chuck kind of was the voice of setting up even more that idea that, well, the people that you're, your clients that you're kind of not, not excited to have, there's, there are people that appreciate the work you're doing. You know what I mean? Like he, maybe he's being he's a little kind of like everyone deserves, uh, 
defense or whatever, something like that. Uh, yeah. A vigorous defense. Yeah, you're deserving clients or whatever. And like yeah. Jimmy's being a little more glib about it than we even think Jimmy is, you know. Um, but one of the other Easter eggs of this scene that I just want to mention is that Jimmy's talking about not being able to get the Financial Times, and he's like, next time I'll try to get it, you know. And the first episode of the show, when he goes to Chuck's house, he's un- he shows him the newspapers, and Chuck says, ah, the Financial Times. Oh, my God. And Jimmy's like, I know you've missed it. Oh, interesting. I was wondering where this fell in the timeline, so... It's fun that they use that to put a pin in it, though, to say yeah. this is basically the Jimmy you met. That scene is basically the wow. beginning of the show. And so it's yet another way that this episode manages to tie in themes that make it feel like, wow, we really have been watching one giant story. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like it's, it's so I don't know. I, but I took from that scene that there was a little bit of a longing in Chuck to to like impart something to Jimmy. Like at this point, Chuck's not working against Jimmy. It's before the stuff really starts to go south between them. Um, and Chuck's really focused on his condition. So he's not really thinking about Jimmy's law career as like a threat to his reputation or anything. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, how did you guys read that scene? And and did you think it was kind of inventive the way that scene too was a scene about regret without being the, the, the time travel question didn't get asked, yeah. but the, the idea that that's what's on Chuck's mind, you know. The theme is still there, yeah. Because he basically says, you can change, Jimmy, you know, you can do what you want. And Jimmy's like, yeah, I got to deal with these knuckleheads. You know, Jimmy's kind of being too glib to notice that someone's trying to have a moment with him. And granted, it's a very tepid version of trying to have a moment with someone because Chuck instantly goes to like, what does he say? We always end up having the same conversation, don't we? (laughs) Yeah, it was kind of a frustrating conversation to watch, which is like every conversation they ever have where... I was frustrated with Jimmy a lot because he kept going back and forth between like, no, you don't pay someone to do this. I'm your brother. I'll do it for you. And also, I'm going to be kind of a dick when I come (laughs) over and be rude to you. Also, I'm going to try to get the newspaper you want. He was just going back and forth between like, I'm being caring because I want to be caring and I'm being, you know, a snappy kind of jerk person. Um and it just felt like they were just rubbing each other the wrong way and not really having the same conversation at the same time. Yeah. Um, but it did definitely feel more like a version of Chuck that really wanted to head Jimmy off at like, are, you know, are, are you sure this is actually what you want to do with your life? Where later, later in the timeline of the show, it feels more like, um, I don't know, to me, because I don't like Chuck, but I'm sure I'll I'll watch this again and feel completely differently. I don't know. It feels like Chuck just wants to keep Jimmy down several pigs below him at all moments. But it, at this moment, it doesn't feel like it's out of an ego reason. It's out of a protective reason, where later in the show, it feels like it, pretending to be protective, mm-hmm. but actually seeing him as someone who could succeed in an area that he never could and not mm-hmm. being able to come to terms with that. Um, it's complex. It's it's, very, very complex. It's very complex. And it was, it was an interesting side of that to see a a little bit early on. Uh, but it did feel frustrating again, communication people (laughs) just, I like that. He says, I'm hoping you didn't, uh, get that ice from a hotel ice machine. And Jimmy says, you can hope. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah. Complex is a great word for it. I, so I I know you don't have any brothers, and I, John, do you have brothers? No, I don't. Know. I 
it's interesting, like, it's not every th- movie or TV show that depicts, like, brothers that, like, works for me. But every once in a while, I feel like sometimes they get it emotionally right. And this is one of them. The uh, Wes Anderson movie, Darjeeling Limited, is not even one of his best movies. It's not, it's not a great Wes Anderson movie, but what that movie gets right is a relationship between three brothers and, like, how brothers act. Because there's... Siblings have, you know, uh, no matter what, siblings have their own relationships. And just me, my own personal experience, I have two older brothers. And it's a complicated thing because it's like, you can be close to them, you can not be close to them, you can have a complicated relationship with them, they can be kind of dicks, you can be a dick to them, like, also... I'd drop everything and help them if I had to, and I, I'm sure they would also to me. So it's a very complicated relationship to depict, and I think this show does it incredibly well because I don't, I don't hate Chuck as a character. I don't like him. He does so. He's much. not a likable guy. He's not a like. No, he's incredibly unlikable. He does a lot of stuff that is truly horrible to jimmy but then he but then he'll do stuff that is pulls back because it's like you're seeing someone be an absolute monster and then remember ah fuck this is my brother though (laughs) like i can't i can't go all the way because they're my brother i'm related to them like i have to support them i have to love them (laughs) you know like that kind of there's also a side of he's often right about jimmy is Jimmy's actions. So he's one of the few people that's kind of calling Jimmy on shit sometimes. And so it just makes it, again, it adds to that complexity of just like, well, no, he's right here. He's not right about maybe the way he's going about it. It's a relationship that's like constantly going both ways where like they're, they're constantly butting heads and they're they're like, they're both right. And they're both wrong all the time. Jimmy's breaking laws and breaking rules and setting Chuck up to look this way and that way. Whereas Chuck is just kind of like, like at certain points seems like he's not willing to help Jimmy or he doesn't really want Jimmy in his backyard, which again has its own set of problems. It's just, I mean, it's the reason why this show needed to end with Jimmy taking responsibility for his actions and mentioning Chuck in that monologue is the reason why that's significant is because he needed to come to terms with his guilt, regret, whatever, around the way he handled things with Chuck and hearing him say it in such plain words. You know, you could see that Kim was really impressed by, oh, this is more growth. She's, she's I mean, it, you know, it's easy to forget, but there was a whole storyline where she wanted Jimmy to see a therapist after Chuck died, and Jimmy had the number. Uh, yeah. He turned down the job at the, at the cell phone store, then she gave him the number of a therapist, then he said, hey, I got a job, and he called the cell phone store and said, hey, I want that job after all, as like a way to avoid having time, you know, to go see a therapist. And he still had yeah. the number, though, and said, I think I am going to call that guy. And then he runs into Howard in the bathroom at the courthouse and Howard's all shaken up. He's going into some case and he's just rattled. And Jimmy's like, what's wrong? And Howard's like, what's wrong? (laughs) Jimmy. And he just looks at him. He's like, obviously he doesn't say your brother died, you know? Um, Yeah. But then he says, well, anyway, whatever. He goes on. And then Howard says, Jimmy says, you know, you ought to see somebody. And he hands him 
tries to hand him the, the post-it <laughs> that Kim gave him. And Howard says, I'm already yeah. seeing somebody. And then Jimmy's like, well, is he any good? It's kind of a funny moment because Howard seems like he's such in such bad shape. But now we can look back on that moment and realize, oh, yeah, they told us Howard was in therapy. We just didn't make a note of it really at the time. That's yeah. funny. I didn't even think of that. After that encounter, Jimmy tears up the post-it and doesn't go to yeah. see a therapist. So I guess what I'm saying is Kim wished for Jimmy to work out these issues some other way a long time ago. So the fact that he's standing yeah. in front of everybody and that he orchestrated to have her there to hear him say, I did this, I feel bad about it, I'll I'll, I'll have to live with that. I think you could feel her, her respect for him just kind of oozing back into her character throughout that whole interaction. And she didn't, she didn't like smile and wink or any, it wasn't like you said, Jonathan, it's not about getting back together. It's just about, I don't want this person, I don't want this person to hate me and misunderstand me for the rest of my existence. I'd rather be in jail knowing that they, they could admire some piece of what I am than running around free. Another thing about that scene that I loved was after his confession when he sits down and, and Bill Oakley, is that his yeah. name? And he's like, why did you even talk about Chuck? That wasn't a crime. And Jimmy says, yes, it was. And that was fucking heartbreaking. Yeah. The scene, I loved the scene with Chuck. It was very short. I didn't expect Mike McKeon to show up. Um, and he hasn't been in it for so long. And like you were saying, Jimmy just like never coped. He never coped with it. He just like blew past it and became Saul Goodman. Um, it was just, it was such a necessary, uh, I keep using the word catharsis, but it was just such a necessary like thing to see, to like remember they were brothers. <laughs> they had a really, really complicated, shitty relationship, but there's love there. There's hate there. There's a lot of shit going on. Uh, and to see Chuck in like a vulnerable kind of moment, and like you said, reaching out to Jimmy was was tough to see, like heartbreaking and tough to see because you're just seeing him like, what if Jimmy had stayed and talked? Like, would they have actually, would it have gone any differently? I mean, I, there's so many points with them where you could say that, like, would they have... Could one of them have not botched this moment, you know? And it it does seem like maybe yeah. they would have ended up having the same conversation as Chuck was saying. Um, but I did wanted to make a note too that in the opening scene of the season, when they were showing Jimmy's house and everything being packed up by the FBI or whatever, um, that time machine, the copy of was on was in Jimmy's bedroom. I read that online like earlier. I that earlier. <laughs> and I don't normally look stuff up before we do a podcast, but it was the last episode mm -hmm. and. I was like, I don't want to miss anything yeah. and, and not talk about anything. So I, I did read that. It was one of the things they were packing up. It also apparently shows up on um, uh, Jimmy's nightstand at Jimmy and Kim's apartment. And then also, when I was walking through our own house earlier, <laughs> we have stacks of books that we showed you la last week or two weeks ago or whatever it was that we were books we were getting Right of, yeah. That fucking book is at the top of one of the piles. Oh, wow. Staring us in the that face. That just blew my mind. I just was <laughs> like, oh, wow, this thing about this book. And then I looked down and I was like, oh, there's that book in my living room currently. Yeah. That's crazy. So it's an Easter egg even in your own home. Y yeah. It's a real Vince life Gilligan Easter egg. Gilligan came over here and <laughs> planted it. They're very thorough. Their marketing is nuts. <laughs> we alluded to it earlier, but we got to talk about that last scene between uh, Jimmy and Kim. I mean, oh, it, yeah. it was 
evidence, there was evidence throughout this season that they were emphasizing the fact that this is like a tragic love story in a lot of ways. I mean, and right down to the fact that it's Kim leaving Jimmy's life that made him take that final plunge into the sleazy side. And I still maintain that there is a little bit of Jimmy being like, there, Saul Goodman is like two thirds Jimmy being true to himself. It's just the other third of it is horrible. And that's what makes yeah. it bad. But Kim's life is not that much more true to herself. I mean, I think Jimmy's being more true to himself in a strange way as Saul during those years than Kim is working at Palm Springs Sprinklers. Now he needs, he's got to go do some work. <laughs> There's some damage there. I'm, I'm just saying, I think it is interesting that the, that the show lets you see that she shouldn't be hiding herself in this way. She shouldn't be, I mean, the way that they depicted that normalcy as something that's almost like a sickness that she has to shake off. Yeah. It's like she's in witness protection program, uh, but by her own, uh, like, doing. Right. Yeah. Like, she's not in an actual program. It's just like she decided, I'm going to (laughs) go to the other side of the country, keep my name, but I'm just going to pretend to be a different person. Yeah. Yeah. And have no actual uh, vestige of myself crack the show through this edifice. But we see her, she's back, even though she she's still got the dark hair, but she's got um, you know, like I said, she's she's dressing a little bit more like old Kim. She's doing she's got the moxie to like work her way into visit Jimmy, even though she like she said, you know, what is it? She's like that basically her her license, her her uh the New Mexico car doesn't have an ex- expiration date on it. So basically she was <laughs> yeah. able to just come right in as though she was still uh, somebody's lawyer. Um I don't know. I just loved that moment. I loved that scene. I thought the dialogue was so perfectly tuned. I love the the reveal that it's 86 years and that she's kind of marveling mm-hmm. at him getting it down to seven. And like, you know, she she realizes what he did to try to help her in his own effed up way. And uh I just think that's such a great thing. They don't have to talk about it. They don't say, there's no mushiness. There's nothing sloppy. And then when he says, uh, um, but with good behavior, who knows? That's such a great last line for this show mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. it's hard to picture, it's hard to picture the phrase Jimmy McGill and the phrase good behavior in the same sentence and have it make sense. Well, and I love that he's fully embraced being Jimmy McGill, not Saul Goodman, but he's also like, letting all the inmates call him Saul. He's got, like, a yes. good relationship. He's, like, fucking fist-bumping them and, like, cooking bread. Like, he's just kind of making the most of it, and it seems like he's uh, melded the worlds into maybe, like, uh, the healthiest version of himself. And, and he's actually owning... He's doing something he hasn't done in the whole story of this guy, is is that he's owning up. He's, like, he has, own, he has yeah. said, this is what I did. And I'm taking responsibility for it, and like, I'm doing the and time. whatever version of him emerges from this, I, uh, Peter Gould did say he doesn't picture Jimmy serving 86 years. He pictures there being some something that happens, you know, that changes that or some deal or something. He just doesn't picture that that's what's really going to happen. But the fact that he seems to accept that, like, uh, th- he's just going to keep doing it. Like, you know, if he escaped again, he would eventually make the same mistakes Gene made. And he would be on the run again. And it's like, you'd be hunted, you know, like Jimmy knows this is the mm. only way to relax is to like own up. And it is a yeah. new version of him. And it's also something we haven't seen on a lot of these like prestige shows about anti-heroic problematic men. We haven't really seen, I don't think, one that deals with stopping and apologizing and taking responsibility yeah. because it's like- it, Consequences. Oh my God, seriously. It's like we could, we could dwell on the- 
the the fact that it almost seems unfair that Jimmy's the one to catch all the shit for all this stuff that happened. But if you look at it in terms of kind of maybe the last great uh, show about like an anti-heroic middle-aged white man, <laughs> I feel like they went out with a lot of integrity with him basically saying like, yeah, I kind of deserve... I deserve something, but like it's that on his own terms part of it that makes it not tragic, you know? It's like the thing, you know, I wanted every guy caught doing shit, me too, all that kind of stuff with, you know, the exceptions of the ones who are actual monsters, monster criminals who should go to jail for forever. But like so many of these guys who got caught uh, just didn't do anything. They didn't apologize. They didn't, uh, or if they apologized, it was just like a quick apology. There's no atonement. This, Like you're saying, this is showing someone <laughs> owning their mistakes, paying for it, and just like actually working on themselves. Right. It's about personal growth, not about the legal consequences. Yeah. Not trying to like flip it into like, all right, now I'm going to have a comeback. He's just like, nope, I have to, I have to deal with the horrible things I the did. self-awareness right which is again that's what i wanted that's all i wanted yeah. out of this finale was for jimmy to have yeah. self-awareness and not to end like it's still in the denial he seemed to be in as you said becca for like the first two-thirds or three-quarters of this episode <clears throat> um that last scene with jimmy and kimmy uh jimmy and kim that's what i meant uh, that i felt was a perfect way to end not only like the episode but the series especially and their relationship and well yeah, as, as we've gone mm-hmm. through and seen like one of the things, I mean, the I don't know if it's the main thing you would say that the show is about, but, like, as the show's gone on, you realize more and more the show's about Jimmy and Kim. And especially these this last season, how invested, you know, you as a viewer are in just, like, Jimmy and Kim. Like, nothing else, just, like, what happens to them? What happens to her? Yeah. Like, I know a happy ending isn't on the books, but Jesus Christ... <laughs> Yeah, for me, the happy ending is just having their hearts in the right place, which at the start of this episode, I don't know if I was coming down too hard on Jimmy (laughs) to have lost so much faith in him. I don't think you were. But I think that's where we were supposed to be. Honestly, that was the that was the trick that (laughs) they they pulled on the audience was making us think for a minute. Oh, wait, maybe Jimmy really is as low as they all think he is, you know? Yeah. After all those years of being Saul. Mm -hmm. Yeah. and I was saying to John right after we watched it, like he could have ended up in jail either way. And the way it ended with him basically having his heart right, mm-hmm. this was the way that still feels fine and it feels satisfying and it feels right. And it makes me hopeful for him where if he had just gotten caught, like literally covered in slime in a dumpster (laughs) and going to jail clawing for a few years off his sentence would have just felt horrible but to be in jail with a longer sentence and have his heart in the right place feels like a good hopeful better ending and it's what i i want it's what i had wanted yeah I, i wrote down almost the same thing i said it would be if he got away without learning anything it would be sadder yeah oh yeah 100 percent. than him being in prison but as you said being in the right place and getting straight with himself and whatever emerges mm-hmm. now he he's he's 
I mean, you know, he'll have paid his debt. He won't be looking over his shoulder for the rest of his life or whatever. I mean, again, yeah. if, I think the ending the story the way they did and where they did is is crucial to the the where the, what they wanted us to take away. But um, mm-hmm. Peter Gould, who wrote and directed this episode, has also said though that he feels like they left it where you you can you can imagine more story for these characters these characters, this world in your head, like they left you enough to wonder more, but they, they finished it. You know, it really Mm -hmm. did feel like this was the end to this whole saga. And I think that's the main thing that was interesting about the way they brought in all those elements and the thematic aspect of not just how is Jimmy's fate going to be different than Jesse's or different than Walt's, but how in some way is his fate like a comment on the whole story we've been watching. And it is interesting. Yeah, to s- like it's over right. now. It is interesting to see somebody who has, like, not Mike, not Gut, like, none of these characters have had a chance to learn before they died. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and the little scene on the way to the prison that shows you that the people are recognizing him and chanting Better Call Saul, like, to me, that just felt like that was their way of letting us know the thing that always felt so wrong about the prison ending to me, which is just the hellish nightmare of prison. And that was their way of saying... It's not going to be the nightmare that you think prison could be. You know, like for whatever reason, Saul is going to have enough people that know who he is that that think he's almost kind of a folk hero maybe to some of these criminals. Maybe he's even helped somebody. Oh, yeah. I'm just saying like that was enough to make me go, okay, as bad as prison is, this show doesn't have to pretend prison's fun to make me feel like maybe Saul has found some camaraderie. Maybe these people are – he's much – these are much more people he has in common with as a con man – like, I don't know. I just feel like that there's a side of that that feels like maybe he can have some honest interactions and maybe make some of those friendships that we've said all along. <laughs> it's so sad to see that he can't seem to make. Um, I know that's stupid to say about prison because it's awful, but I'm saying for the purposes of this story, it, it's like a chapter that he needs. He needs to break the cycle of what he's been doing. Yeah. Yeah. And they just pitted two prisons up against each other as like, here's the worst prison you could go to, and here's the best prison you could go to. <laughs> yeah. Then he goes to yeah. the worst prison you could go to. To Yeah, see, he's got some camaraderie going in is, uh, you know, a little more on the bright side. Right, yeah. But when that happened on the bus, I was still just like, what fucking game is this? What does this mean? <laughs> Did he play a prison break on this bus? Are they going to break their fucking handcuffs? And thank goodness it's not that show. I just thought it was funny that, like, when that first started, when that, that guy, like, turned around, mm-hmm. everyone on that bus is being really aggressive. Like, yes. the sound effects, like, every time they turn around, it's like, bang! Uh, <laughs> and it's really, like edgy and you think like oh man is he is he fucked like is he going to this prison and like he's just gonna be in there with a bunch of like horrible scary dudes and all these guys are being really aggressive and scary but all of them but then it just turns out that like they all love and respect him there's like oh it's Saul this guy Saul and they love him so much they're way nicer to him than anybody else ever is (laughs) exactly they're all super nice and they're like into it and then yeah and then it cuts to him in prison like I said he's like fist bumping guys that one guy's just like like, oh, I got you, yeah. Saul. <laughs> like, yeah. I'll take over. Like, not like not like it's the, you know, Arrested uh, Development where he's having the time of his life. Yeah. Uh, but he's definitely, I don't know, it's definitely different than what I was expecting. <laughs> right. And, and he's adaptive, and we know that. So, I mean, again, I think that there's a sadness to this ending. Like, the last image being him kind of as she walks away, kind of disappearing behind the building and behind the fence. Like, that, that is like a sad last way to see this character. Not before he does the finger guns, though. Even that feels like yeah. it's a different tone. Like, he's done the finger guns before, oh, yeah. we, but it's like, it, there's something rueful and like, 
he understands the irony of being in the position he's in and giving someone mm. that got him uh, finger guns, you know. But he also recognizes that sh they've had that moment back and forth a few times. He's given them to her. She's given them to him. Like, it means something mm. to them, you know, to have this little, this little signal. But it still is that image of him as she walks away, you know, disappearing. That's the final thing we see. And that's, it's yeah. sad. It's sad to see him in that state, but it is strange how much more optimistic um, it felt to me than I thought it even could, not knowing what it would be, even if it hadn't been prison. I just didn't know they were going to give us as, it was a very, it was a very like uh, uh, considerate uh, episode in terms of our <laughs> feelings. I mean, it gave us all these connections, old characters, all this stuff, and they tied it together so nicely without without being overly prosaic in terms of how they resolved the story, you know? Like, it wasn't just about mm -hmm. plot. They really did make it about, like we've said all along, uh, this, this that character beat the, of just Jimmy coming to terms with himself. You drink one, drink two, drink three Long Island iced teas. But your buddy's worse off and he throws you his car keys. Blue lights are blinking four o'clock in the morning. St. Trooper makes you wish that you'd never been born. Better call Saul, better call Saul. And here comes the inevitable Star Wars comparison, because Peter Gould said that, that they don't think of this as like a franchise in the sense of Star Wars. Good. I think it's a rare feeling to think you're done with something and you're not getting more of it these days. Something that was this good, something that had so many chances to drop the ball and didn't. Uh, damn right, call it over and say it's done. And oh my god, yeah. please, please yeah. end it. Please just end it. Do something yeah. different. I would love I just, to see them do something different. I just want to see these actors in other yes. things and these creators create new yes. things yeah. rather than keep going back to the same exact well. Exactly. I mean, I know when I started watching this show and I started doing this podcast, um, I thought to myself, like, I hope this show stays good. It's like, is this a weird endeavor to, like, react to something on a week-to-week -week basis when I don't even know where it's going or how long it's going to be on the air and thinking about feelings I had in season one and now it's wrapping up and it's like, wow, it's six seasons and, you know, feeling like it's satisfying and it actually stuck the landing makes it feel like I didn't just waste all this time talking about the show. Definitely. I will yeah, tell sure. you something, I will never do that again. I will never say, you know what, I'm going to do, hey, let's podcast about this brand new television show. I'm going to hold you to that. I will never, ever do it again. <laughs> that was a lucky gamble you took. It really was. Could have gone sideways. <laughs> so yes, when things end, it's great, such as a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love this podcast. I love listening to it when I'm not on it. There will be one more episode coming that's a little bit of a look back on the show and, in a, in a, you know, I tried to find an interesting way to kind of look at the whole show. But episode to episode, this is it. This is, the, it's no longer a living uh, entity, you know. The show's done. This podcast has all, anything that I've theorized about or wondered about or hoped for, it's now all resolved. Any threads that are left to be pondered are left for us to ponder. Uh, not for, you know, some writer's room to be working on. So in that sense, it's a great ending to the show. And I hope out there, if anyone's listening, you find this to be a good ending to the podcast, too. In the future, where can people find you, Becca, and Jonathan? CactusRodeo.com. Cactus <laughs> <laughs> Go to CactusRodeo.com. Go to CactusRodeo.com slash podcast and check out Below Grade Level and The Sketchy Show. Both of those shows are shows that... 
all three of us are on and participate in and have a really, really, really fun time doing. And they will never end. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of content to listen to. I have a lot of comics online you can read if you feel like it. You can follow us on Facebook and uh, and check out Pop Socket Theater. You can check out popsuckettheater.com or you can just find it on Cactus Rodeo. Um, that's a sock puppet show that also the three of us do. And uh, we are working on the second season, slowly but surely. Uh, life finds a way and uh you'll see it eventually and now all that's left to say is bye 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 finger guns finger guns, finger guns. <laughs> you know actually um very close to the end of the show they finally uh, gave me a good sign off which is uh when kim hangs up on jimmy um, from the sprinkler place she says i'm glad you're alive <laughs> <laughs> We'll end every hangout, every Zoom call that way. Glad you're alive. Glad you're, Glad alive. you're alive. Cut. Saul, Saul, you better call Saul. You're fighting for your rights when your back's to the wall. Staying to the man, justice for all. You better call Saul. You best call now, you hear? When Breaking Bad was first airing, I didn't watch it for a few seasons. And I just remembered hearing people talking about uh, uh, Walt and Gus and Hank and Saul. And I just thought, is everyone on this show 60 years old? Are they all retired truckers? (laughs) What is this?